You know, a lot of times when people say, man, I've been blessed, what they mean by that is, I just got a new car, got a good deal on it, I was blessed by God. Or people say, man, I've been so blessed because they got a new job. Maybe they're able to purchase their dream home. Some people say, I'm blessed because I went to the mall and I was looking for a parking spot. And like all of a sudden, the one right by the door opened up and oh, I am so blessed. Now, all those things are blessings. But what we're doing in this series called Blessed is we're looking at those times that you're blessed in maybe ways that you didn't expect it. Some unexpected types of blessings that God has for us. Last week, we looked at this blessing that God gives, and it's we've been blessed with a need. All of us have been blessed with a need for each other. We have been blessed with this need to want to be in community with each other, to, to do life deeply together with other people. And so we encourage you, you know, you got to start doing life together. Get involved in a, a life group. Don't go through life alone. Today I want to look at another sort of blessing in disguise. It's one that you probably wouldn't even think is a blessing. But I'll start with this. Many of you walked in today and you probably have a problem of some sort that really, really bothers you. There's something in the world that you look at it and you go, you know what, that's not right. Somebody should do something about that. It could be poverty. It could be homelessness. It could be a, an epidemic that's going on around the world. It can be all kinds of things. It may be something local with our school system. It may be a big national issue or a health issue. There's something in the world that really, really bothers you. And it, it keeps you up awake at night at sometimes. And, you know, sometimes you, it's all you can really stop to think and pray about because it just so bothers Every time you see it on the news, it's like, oh, man, I can't believe this. It really, really bothers you consumes your thinking and you start to think you know what I'm not sure that somebody like me little old me could do something about a big problem like that and so you feel overwhelmed by it it almost feels like a curse but what I want to say to you today is this it's not a curse it's a blessing from God in fact here's our big thought for the day if you're taking notes there on your outline God has blessed me with a burden that reflects his heart, his character, and his nature. God has blessed me with a burden that reflects his heart, his character, and his nature. One of my spiritual heroes is a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. Bill pastors Willow Creek Community Church out in the Chicago area. One of the biggest churches in the in the world, and Bill wrote a great book a couple years ago. It's called Holy Discontentment, and it's this whole idea of it's okay to be discontent as long as it's a holy discontentment, as long as it's a discontentment that God has given you, and one of the things he writes in there is about this whole thing of that we have this burden that God has given all of us, and he writes about Popeye. Who remembers Popeye, the, the cartoon character Popeye? Remember him? All right, what was Popeye's girlfriend's name? Shout out if you remember. What is it? Olive oil, right? Oh, olive oil, right? He's like shouting for olive oil. And then he had an arch enemy. Who remembers the enemy's name? Brutus, right? And remember Brutus? He would come along and he'd do all kinds of things. He'd tie olive oil up on the railroad tracks and she'd be laying there, you know. Or sometimes he was trying to win her heart and win her affection. And Popeye, he'd watch all this. 
And he would be overwhelmed by it. He'd get frustrated by it. And then eventually he would say his famous line, that's all I can stands. I can't stands no more. And he'd rip open the spinach, he'd down it, and he'd go and he'd pummel Brutus. And he'd win back the heart and affection of olive oil. The point that Hybels makes in the book and the point that I'm trying to make to you today is that all of us have been blessed with a burden. There's something in the world that really, really bothers you. And I want you to have your pup pie moment. I want you to get to the place where you say, that's all I can stands and I can't stands no more. And you decide that, you know what? I'm going to do something about it. Yes, little old me, I'm going to do something about this major problem in our community, this major problem in our nation, this major problem in the world. Why? Not because of who great I am or how great I am, but because of how great my God is. The greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. So I want you to have your Popeye moment here today. What we're going to do is we're going to look at three ways to discover the burden that God has given you. Then I want to briefly just look at some wrong ways to handle your burden and then a couple of good things that you should do with your burden. So here's three ways that you can discover, three questions to discover your burden. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. What breaks my heart? What breaks my heart? Is there a certain group of people that are hurting or an issue that makes you say, you know what, that's not right. It's simply not fair that that's going on in the world. So there's something that every single time you think about it, your, your heart gets heavy and it saddens you. There's a guy in the Old Testament of the Bible, his name is Nehemiah. And Nehemiah was actually living in exile. Even though he was a Jewish person and, and Israel is God's nation, he was in exile in a, in a foreign land. But he still had a heart that one day I want to go back to my native land. I want to be able to live there. But there were still foreign occupiers that were there. Broke his heart. I want to be there. Now there were still a couple of the Jews that were living there in Israel. And one day they, a couple of them come into the land where Nehemiah is living. And he's so excited. You know, Tell me, what, what's happening back in Israel? Tell me about Jerusalem, our, our capital city. I, I'm so excited to hear the news. What, what's going on? And here's what they say to him in Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Well, they replied, things are not good. The wall of Jerusalem is still torn down and the gates are burned. Nehemiah says, when I heard this, I sat down and I cried. In fact, I refused to eat for several days for I spent the time in prayer to the God of heaven. Notice that Nehemiah, he doesn't say, oh man, that's just too bad that the walls are still torn down. Oh well. He doesn't say, you know what, I'm going to go on Facebook and hit that new feelings emoticon and say, sad face. This makes me sad. I'm not going to comment praying for you. Notice that he is absolutely wrecked by the news that the walls are still torn down. And it says that he cried, and he didn't just cry like for a couple minutes or a couple hours. He cried for days. For days he fasts and he prays. He says, God, this just isn't right. It isn't right. Somebody needs to do something about this, God. And he's begging God, God, somebody has to solve this major problem. 
And as you continue to read through the book of Nehemiah, you find out God says, you're right, Nehemiah, somebody does have to solve this problem, and that person is you. And God raises Nehemiah up to return back to Israel. And sure enough, he's able to build up the walls again and restore the capital city. Through a little old guy by the name of Nehemiah, nobody special. He wasn't special. But he saw a problem, it broke his heart, and he said, somebody's got to do something about this. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. And he went out, and he took care of it. And you need to do the same thing. Let me ask you today, what is it that breaks your heart? Is it that half the world's population lives in poverty? That half the world's population lives on less than $2 a day? Maybe what breaks your heart is that only 10% or uh, 10% of people on this planet don't have access to clean drinking water. Did you know that there are more people on this planet that have access to a cell phone than adequate sanitation? Toilets. That's what I'm talking about, right? More people have access to cell phones in this planet than access to a toilet. I don't know about you, that, that breaks my heart. Do you know that 1,000 babies a day are born with AIDS? Think about that. thousand babies a day. Do you know that 20 women per minute are abused in this country by their spouse or domestic partner every single minute? 20 women. Every minute. Maybe what breaks your heart is that 88,000 people are killed each year in alcohol-related deaths. I mean, the list just keeps going on and on, and on, and on. This is a broken world that we live in. And there's got to be something that it just so captures your heart, that it breaks your heart, and you say, that's just not right. It's just simply not right. Here's another question you can ask yourself. What makes me angry? And I'm not talking about your pet peeve either. I'm talking about things that you know makes God angry, that God isn't happy about. And you say, since God isn't happy about it, I'm not going to be happy about it either. It's going to make me angry. Now, I know some of you go, well, Gilbert, isn't anger a sin? Well, yes, anger can be a sin, but the Bible talks about what's called a righteous anger. It's when God is angry at something, you have the right to be angry at it as well. A righteous, a holy anger. What makes you angry? In the Old Testament, we read a lot about a guy by the name of Moses. Moses was born as a Jew, but he was actually raised by an Egyptian. And he was living there in Egypt, as were all the Jews, because they were in slavery to the Egyptians. And the Pharaoh, he was like this mean, mean guy. He just kept, like, the, so not only they're in slavery, but I mean, they're just, he's just so mean. He's abusing them, and he's just doing all kinds of things to them, putting this very heavy burden on them. But yet Moses, he grows up with all the, the riches of Egypt. He has it pretty easy, but yet his heart was still for his native people. 
One day, Moses has his Popeye moment in Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 to 12. It says, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were, and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, looking this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Moses is like, wait a second, these are my people, they're being abused, and that makes me mad. That's all I can stand, I can't stand no more, and he goes and he kills this guy. Now, let me be very clear here this morning. Go on the record as your pastor. I'm not encouraging you to get angry and go kill somebody, right? Don't go all UFC on somebody and dump their body down in the Susquehanna, okay? You're not allowed to do that. So Moses didn't handle his anger in the, the right way, but God later uses that anger and that passion that Moses has, and he says, all right, Moses, it's not right that my people were in slavery here. Moses is like, yeah, you're right. Moses is angry and he's frustrated. That's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And he goes and he says to Pharaoh, let my people go. And it's through the mighty hand of God and all the acts of God and through this person, Moses, an ordinary man, a man who stuttered when he spoke, that God used him to deliver the nation out of slavery and into the land of promise. What makes you angry? What is it? Is it the political situation in our country right now? Is it that many people have addictions? Are you like me? Does it make you angry that right now in this county alone, 78% of the population of the county doesn't have a relationship with Jesus? If they were to die right now, 78% of your family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers would die and go to a very real place called hell. That makes me angry. Not at them. Not at lost people. I'm angry at the church. I'm angry at Christians that were so consumed with living a better life for ourselves. We're concerned about raises and bonuses and promotions and cars and getting a fancy house and all this kind of stuff. It's all about us instead of that there's a lost and dying community right out our front door here. That makes me angry. Why aren't we doing more about this? Why aren't we partnering with more and more churches? Why is our, our nation just the, the spiritual decline? It just keeps going down. That makes me angry. Talked about it the other week. The church is called to domination, but we become all about conversation. So church, the capital C church, it seems like we just want to sit around and have discussions about things that really don't matter. And non-Christians, they hear us talking about it, and they just laugh at us. Who cares if Jesus is coming pre-trib, me-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? doesn't matter. All I care about is Jesus coming back again someday. But yeah, we want to sit and argue about these things. Do you baptize people forwards? Do you baptize them back? I don't care. Just people get saved and get baptized. But yet churches, they want to argue about it. That makes me angry. What makes you angry? What is it? What makes you angry? What makes you sad? Number three, what do I care about that others don't seem to care about? What is it that makes you go, 
why is it that I'm so passionate about this and nobody else is passionate about it? Why do I seem to care about this issue so much and other people don't seem to care about it? See, Colleen's visiting with us today. Colleen, what are you passionate about? What's your one word? Generosity, right. She knows what she's passionate about. And I'm sure there's sometimes you go, why, why doesn't everybody care about this as much as I care about it? Right, <laughs> right, right. She knows what her calling in life is and what she's passionate about and what breaks her heart. It breaks her heart when she sees people that aren't living up to the, the potential that God has in their finances. It makes her angry when she sees people that are in debt that Satan is convinced that just put it on the credit card. Just keep running it up. She knows. She's passionate about it. What are you passionate about? What is the thing that you say, why doesn't everybody else care about this? Really want you to take some time this week to go through those three questions. Think about it. Pray about it. Maybe even take a day to fast about it and say, God, just give me a burden. Give me what my burden is. Ask your family members. You know, ask them, you know, what, what makes me sad? What makes me angry? What is it that I care about that nobody else seems to care about? Ask your life group. Really get to the point where you can be very, very crystal clear that my burden that God has blessed me with is fill in the blank. And again, it is a blessing. It's not a curse. Your burden is a blessing from God. He has blessed you with this. Because it breaks his heart. It makes him sad. It makes him angry. He cares about it. And so if he cares about it, you should care about it as well. Sadly, though, many people don't handle their burden in the right way. In fact, there's a couple wrong things that people do. So let me talk to you about that. A couple things not to do with your burden. There on your outline, the first one is this. I can't complain about my burden. Can't complain about my burden. Please don't be one of those people that is constantly whining and complaining about this major problem that's going on in the world. And you blame everybody and everything else for it. Oh, it's the government's fault. Oh, it's the school system's fault. It's the church's fault. It's just whine, 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 complain, 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 complain. And with all due respect, here's what I want to say to you. Shut up and do something about it. That was very spiritual, I know, but that's the best way to say it. Shut up and do something about it. Be a part of the solution. Don't be a part of the problem. Something really makes you sad. Something makes you angry. It's something you care about, you're passionate about. Go do something about it. Don't just whine and complain about your burden. Number two. Up, oh, I just heard Ryan. Ryan, you didn't hear me use those two words. Don't ever use those words. Number two, I can't ignore my burden. You know, many people try to emotionally detach themselves from it because it does. It breaks their heart and it makes them angry. And they're like, well, the only way to solve this is I'll just pretend like it doesn't even exist. 
you know, maybe your big thing is like starving children in Africa or something, and you're sitting there late at night, you're watching TV, and Sally Struthers comes on, right? And it's that whole big thing, and the sad music in the background, and all these pictures of the, the kids and everything. And your solution is change the channel. Because you're like, if I keep watching this, I'm just going to get sad about it. I'm not going to be able to sleep. I'm not going to be able to get it out of my mind. So often we're like, you know, I just don't have time for that right now. I'm so busy doing all this other stuff. I don't have time to think about starving children in Africa or whatever your burden is. And so we think, you know what, I'll just emotionally detach myself from it. I'll just pretend like it's not even there. I'll just bury my head in the sand, pretend like it doesn't exist. But we can't do that. Number three, I can't chump change my way out of my burden. You know, a lot of people, they have a burden, and they know that they have the burden, and it makes them sad, it makes them angry, and they're like, man, I care about this, I want to do something about it, but <coughs> excuse me, I don't have time to do anything about it right now. And so, oh, Looky here, I got $5 in my pocket. I'm going to give $5 to solve all the world's problems. Look at me, everybody. I'm giving $5 to help with AIDS. I'm giving $5 to help with poverty. I'm giving $5 to reform our educational system. Aren't I generous? Next year, I may give 10 You know why we do that? Not because we're trying to solve the problem. We're trying to help ourselves emotionally, ease our guilt, because we know we should be doing more, but we think, well, if I just throw a couple dollars at it, well, that'll be good enough. I'm not saying don't give whatever you have to give, but I'm saying you got to go beyond that. You can't just buy your way out of your burden, especially just for a couple dollars. All right, so that's what we shouldn't do with our burden. Let's look at a couple things that we must do. Number one, I must let my burden ruin me. I'm being serious about this. Let your burden ruin your life. Let it overwhelm you. Let it make you lose sleep. Let it be the thing that you're broken about. You say, well, how do I do that? It's very simple. Embrace the uncomfortableness of it. Study about your burden. Read about your burden. Get on YouTube. Watch videos about your burden. If you have the opportunity, go wherever your burden is and actually visit and see it at first hand. What is your burden? Just let it keep consuming you and consuming you and consuming you. And get to the point where you're actually comfortable in the uncomfortableness of it. Get to the place where you realize that this is actually something God has blessed me with. And I'm going to have this for the rest of my life. I'm going to feel pain and discomfort the rest of my life about this issue. And sort of get comfortable in the uncomfortableness. Now again, don't get comfortable so that you don't do anything. But just get comfortable knowing that this is always going to be a burden that you feel, that I've got to do something about this. That's all I can stand, and I can't stand no more. I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to let it ruin me. 
Many of you have heard my story before, but let me share just parts of it with you again, how my burden ruined me. I didn't become a follower of Jesus until I was in my early 20s. I had attended church every week, you know, growing up, and, uh, you know, basically church was 11 to 12 on Sunday, and the rest of the time was do whatever in the world I wanted to do, and I did. But then I become a follower of Jesus, and I'm so excited because it's at that moment I realized Jesus has forgiven me of my sins. He's come in, he's given me a fresh start, a brand new life, and, and, and life just started to change for me. It was phenomenal. But there was also a part of me that I was beating myself up because I thought, Gilbert, how could you be so dumb to have sat in a church for 20 years and you didn't even get what the very basic message of Christianity is all about? And I was mad at the church. How could they let me for 20 years sit there week after week after week and never explain even what it means to become a Christian? Every week it was just about do this and you're a good person, do this and you're a bad person. Never about how do you start a relationship with Jesus. And that made me mad. It made me angry. And again, it made me sad that I had wasted 20 years of my life. A couple years later then, I was taking a class on how do you share your faith with other people. And part of that class was an on-the-job training thing that you did. You would go out with an experienced person that knew how to share their faith and had gone through this course before. You sort of would watch them at first, and as the course kept going on, then you started sharing more and more yourself. The very first night that we went out for visits, we visited a lady. She was in her 70s. And we asked her this question. We said, if you were to die today, and you were to stand before God, and he were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you think you would say? And I sat there amazed as she gave the exact same wrong answer that I had given just a couple years before. Almost word for word, well, I'm a good person. I try to do the best I can. I go to church every single week. That's the wrong answer. That's a one-way ticket to hell. That's not how you get into heaven. That's not how you get forgiveness in your life. It's not about you. It's all about Jesus, that Jesus came and lived the perfect and sinless life that you could never live, and he died on the cross, and he shed his blood so that all your sins can be forgiven. He rose again from the dead, proving that he had the victory over sin and, and death. Has nothing to do with you. You never could be good enough. Even just one sin ever in your life disqualifies you from heaven. One sin means that you deserve hell. But Jesus loved you enough that he died in your place and he offers you forgiveness and a brand new life. That's the right answer. But she gave the exact same wrong answer that I given that I'm a good person. I try to do the best I can. I go to church every week. It was in that moment that the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, Gilbert, see, you're not the only one that sat in a church week after week after week after week and didn't get the very basic message of what Christianity is all about. And I realized I had wasted 20 years of my life. This woman had wasted 70 years of her life. And again, as I started studying this, I got sad about it. I got angry. I got passionate. Because I realized that there wasn't just lost people out in the community. There's lost people sitting in our churches. 
I was like, why, why isn't more people doing something about this? Why aren't churches doing a better job at this? And so I started doing anything I knew short of sin to just start sharing the good news of Jesus with anybody and everybody that I could. But I just kept getting overwhelmed more and more by this burden. Sadder and sadder that there's lost people, angrier and angrier at the church. More and more passion to the point that I said, all right, God, whatever it takes. You can ruin the life that I planned if that's your will. And sure enough, God came in and he completely disrupted my life. I had two successful businesses that God said, I want you to give those up to become a pastor. Man, we were living the good life. We were living a really good life. But yet, my burden that God blessed me with was more important. I said, I got to do anything I possibly can to make sure that people understand that Jesus loves them and he died for them. And so I gave it all up. That's why I'm so passionate every single week to to be able to stand here before you and, and talk to you that there's a better life than the life that many of you are living. Don't waste your life on things. Don't waste your life on stuff that doesn't really matter. That's why I'm so passionate that week after week I tell you, look, you've got to invite people to come in. Not so we can fill this building up. That's not what it's about. It's about lost people. It's about helping them come into a relationship with Jesus. So I don't know what your burden is, but you do, and God has been speaking to you here today. I want you to just pray and say, God, it's okay. You can ruin my life, and I'll be all right with that. Number two, then, I must let my burden move me to action. I want you to get to the place where you're not just ruined by it. You're not just sad. You're not just passionate. You're not just angry. You're like, all right, I'm actually going to do something about this. I'm going to take action. It's just simply not right that this is going on. And there's all kinds of things, from little small things to big things. If you look around exponential here and you go, you know what, I don't think the people here are very friendly. Guess what? Become a greeter then. You be the friendly person. You don't like the children's ministry here? Guess what? Do something about it. Volunteer. If you don't like that there's poverty, do something about it. If you don't like that there's diseases that we have had the cure for and the vaccines for here in the United States for decades now, but yet every single day, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands and thousands actually, of people all around the world die of these diseases every single day. Do something about it. If you don't like that there's not access to clean drinking water, do something about it. If you don't like that many people in the world don't even have shoes, do something about it. You do something. Don't just come to church. Don't just go, great message, pastor. No, no, no. That's not what it's about. It's about you taking God's word now, you doing something with it. Again, it's not just enough that you're sad 
and that you're angry and that you have passion. You got to do something. So what is the Holy Spirit right now asking you to do? What is the next step that you feel God's Spirit whispering to you? Just do fill in the blank, whatever that is. And yeah, you're not going to solve the world's problems overnight. But you can't solve any of the world's problems if you don't even take a first step. You got to do something about it. I want you to think about a couple people here. Think about Martin Luther King. What was he sad about? What was he angry about? What did he have a passion for? Racism, right? Now realize, I mean, he's this great historical figure now today, but realize when he started, when he had this passion, when he had this burden, he was a pastor. He's an ordinary pastor. And he said, why is it that one group of people treats another group of people differently just simply because of the color of their skin? Made him sad. Made him angry. He had passion. But yet then he decided to do something about it. And we still got a long ways to go in this country in race relations, but it's way better than what it was. Why? Because one man stood up and said, that's all I can stand, I can't stand no more. He said it a little bit more eloquently and that I have a dream, but... <laughs> Ordinary guy with an extraordinary vision that maybe, maybe God would use somebody like me to make a difference in the world. And look at what he did. So if God could use someone like him, what makes you think God can't use someone like you? You're like, well, Gilbert, I'm just a, a sales clerk. Gilbert, I'm just a factory worker. Gilbert, I'm just a, a bank teller. doesn't matter. doesn't matter who you are doesn't matter what you do. God has a calling on your life. God has blessed you with a burden. He wants you to make a difference. Great example in Scripture of a guy. His name is Isaiah. And Isaiah is having this vision where he's, he's seeing God face to face. And when he sees God in all of his glory, all Isaiah can do is he gets down to his knees and he starts just weeping and crying out before God. And he realizes, he says, I am a man of unclean lips. He realizes his depravity is his sinfulness. And it just breaks him. He's tore up about it. But in the midst of all of that, as he's crying out, he realizes that God is saying, I need a messenger. Somebody that can take my message of love and forgiveness to the whole world. And I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Lord, here I am. Send me. Yes, I'm frail. Yes, I'm broken. Yes, I'm sinful. But Lord, here I am. Send me. 
And that's been my prayer for you all week long is that you would get to the place where you understand what your burden is and you would say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And Lord, here I am. Send me. I want to close with a Franciscan benediction. St. Francis, he was a guy who lived in the 11th century. And he looked around at the world that he lived in and at the church and he said, Something's not right about this. The church just isn't being the church. And so he made a vow that he was going to live like Jesus, a life full of compassion and grace, and it was going to be about other people and not about himself. And through the years, you know, more and more people started sort of following, you know, the the teachings of St. Francis. In fact, our current pope, when he got to choose his new name, he chose Francis. That's who he named himself after, St. Francis of Assisi. And they have this Franciscan benediction that I want to pray over you. And it simply says this, May God bless you with discomfort and easy answers, have truths, superficial relationships, so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger and injustice, oppression and exploitation of people, so that you can work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, and starvation, so that you may reach out your hand and comfort them and turn their pain into joy. May God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you have blessed us with a burden a burden to go out and make a difference in something that we see in the world that just simply breaks our heart. It makes us angry, and we have a passion to do something about it. But Lord, help us not to just come to church. Help us to be the church. Help us to get out of our seats here and go out into Harrisburg, into our nation, into the world, and saying, God, here I am. Send me. God, use me to make a difference. And Lord, we realize that we can't in ourselves do that But because your spirit lives inside of us, we can. Because greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. And so, Lord, we pray for your supernatural touch today. We pray for vision and guidance and clarity in what our next step needs to be as we try to make a difference in this world for you. God, thank you that you use sinful, frail human beings like us to expand your kingdom so that your kingdom may come and your will may be done on earth just as it is in heaven. God, thank you. Thank you for your son Jesus and his forgiveness and his grace and that uses people like us to make an eternal difference. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.